Open up your Bibles now, Luke chapter 1. I'm going to read, and then I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to preach. Luke opens up his letter to his friend Theophilus. It's a heartfelt letter. It took much energy, much intention. It didn't happen on accident. You ever have those days where like, I should text him, I should text him, I should text him, and then a week goes by and they text you, you're like, oh, I was going to text you, but you didn't. Luke said, I'm a, I should write this down. I should, I should send this to Theophilus. This is, this is important. This is a big deal. I shouldn't let this go undone. And God put a burden on his heart to do something. And I would pray in Jesus' name that God would put burdens on our hearts to be those like Luke. His name meant bright one. To be one who shines the light in the darkness. And so he writes a gospel, which literally means good news. I'm going to read to you the first four verses. We read them last week, and I talked about Luke the man and Luke the book and Luke's recipient. Today we're going to look at these four verses uh, one by one. Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us, Verse 3, he concludes, it seemed good to me also. I just want that to kind of hover over you. It seemed good to me also. What, what seems good to you? That's a good thing. Whatever that is, that's good. That's good they're doing that. I'm glad they're doing that. That's good. Maybe it would be that's good to do. I should do that too. It seemed good to me. And how many times have you agreed with a mission statement or with a missionary project or with some sort of effort Luke says, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first uh, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus, that, that you may know, that you may know the certainty of the things in which you were instructed. Now, I'm super excited to get into verse 5. It's not going to happen today. Uh, but in verse 5, he actually starts the story. He begins this narrative. I just look at, look at verse 5. Let's just read it for fun. Okay, we're going to cheat a little. We're going to go ahead. It says this. There were in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. And his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Oh, and they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. And so it was while he was serving as priest before God in the order of the division, according to, stop right there, eyes up here, no more going forward. <laughs> Don't go, Gina. I'm just so excited to get into it. I wanted to get there today. I can't do it. You can read it on your own time. As Dr. Luke, Luke the physician, Luke the beloved, Luke the faithful, Luke, Luke, Luke begins to write this story going all the way back to the announcement, the annunciation of J the B, John the baptizer, Jesus' older cousin. He tells this story was so important that we don't miss this. And then he goes on and segues the annunciation, the announcement of the birth of Jesus Christ. And he tells us about this whole story, the whole panorama. And he ends his book, you know, his book is the most exhaustive of all the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Luke includes the furthest from the beginning to the furthest to the ending when Jesus actually was ascended into heaven. He shows the whole thing. In case you're here this morning and you're still on the outside looking in, it happens. I've been there before. In case you're here this morning, you're like, I just don't know if I believe it. I just don't know. Why should I believe? I wasn't there. And Luke's like, I was there. 
I was there. I'll write down my words. I don't want anybody to miss it. Theophilus primarily. So I don't want Theophilus to miss this. I want him to get this. So I'm going to start from the beginning. I'm going to go so thorough. You guys know doctors are very thorough, right? Doctors, scientists, okay? medicine, smart, learned people, the educated folk. You know, it's hard to get stuff by. They're just, they think. They're really valuable on your team. That's smart guy. Luke's one of those guys. And he throws himself into the mix. I'm a smart guy. You got any room for me at the table? God says, yeah, how about you write like the majority of the New Testament? <laughs> Luke and Acts combined together for the majority of the book that we now call the Bible. He adds more to it because God used him in a surrendered heart, a surrendered soul to change lives forever. So would you now pray with me as I preach my best and teach us to do the same with our own lives. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for the pulse that you've given to us at this very moment. We thank you, Lord, for this life that you have redeemed already for us and now asked us to be participants with you. And we would all show up, Lord, just, just like we are, men and women, at the 9 a.m. We're just here, and we would confess right out the get-go, we don't really know much. But we do know the one who knows all. And he is. We have concluded, at least the most of us here today, we have concluded in our hearts, our knower, we've concluded that he is the one thing that changes everything. And I pray in Jesus' name that that would be evident in our lives. I pray for myself, Lord. I, I'm having a good time with my life. I love my wife, my three kids. I love being a pastor. I love living in Newport. But I want to love you even more so those things become even more radical. I want to focus more on you, Jesus, than ever before during this Christmas season and in 2017 so that way my life doesn't become wasted, but instead, Lord, it becomes effective in the lives of many. I pray the same blessing on all of us. This morning, Lord, you would use us in these last days. Use us, Lord, to proclaim the good news when there's so much bad news. Use us to bring the light when there's so much darkness. Use us to bring the love when, Lord, there's so much hate. And Father, I just pray you would help me and help us to get blessed by your word and your word alone in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, let's just read verse 1 and verse 3 in tandem. He says, Inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us, then skip to verse 3, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. Because, he says, so many people have already done this. Because there's periodicals and articles and blogs and posts and books and publications and oral traditions and campfire stories. Because this is the hot topic there in 64 AD, 30 years after Christ had died and rose from the dead. Luke's walking around seeing it all. And he says, because everyone's already doing this, because it's already happening, there's churches, good ones, bad ones, real ones, fake ones, at that time and at this time. He says, because there's such scuttlebutt going around about this one Jesus, verse 3, well, it seemed good to me also to write to you an orderly account. And in that, he kind of toots his horn a little bit. You know, I'm going I'm to kind of write this down because I was there from the beginning. I have actually perfect knowledge from the beginning. I've done the eyewitness investigations. Like, I'm kind of going to, I'm going to take this a little serious, if that's okay. Can I take this up a notch? And that's what motivated Luke to write his letter. Lots of people had already been writing about it. And when he, listen, Luke investigated himself the good news. And I'm going to just put it on you. Most of you here, this is the 9 a.m. service. You guys are all like, you know, you're legit. You know, 
You got like two Jesus's real shirts on. Like, we get it, you know? So, whoa. Luke investigated all the evidence available to him. You will never have amount of evidence afforded you that Luke did. You will never give the search and the investment and the energy to this question greater than Luke did. Luke did it. Luke, and he presented his conclusion to you. And you're here to, and when Luke did it, that is the investigation, and he weighed the evidences, and he did the interviews, and he did the due diligence, and he found himself, and he talked to those who had been sick and were healed, those who were lost and are found, those who were blind and now see, those who were free and are now imprisoned, awaiting their death because of Christ. He's like, why don't you just kind of recant? Why don't you just kind of, uh, you know, I made it up. I said, dude, this isn't made up. This is more, this is too legit to quit. This is the real deal. And when he made that conclusion, it changed his whole life. And I, and I, and I, I look at my own life. When I made that conclusion, when your knower knows, when it moves from your head to your heart, okay, it's an 18-inch chasm that, that needs to happen. 18 inches between knowing something and actually doing something. When it actually translates in and it then tells you what to do and it keeps you from not doing what you're supposed to not do and it changes everything because the good news will make you do crazy stuff. I mean, just absolutely crazy stuff. When I first got, when it moved from my head to my heart back when I was around 19 or 20 years old, I started to do crazy stuff, crazy stuff. Me and my roommates at the time, it had all moved from our heads to our hearts. We're like, we wanna, you want to go downtown and find other people that don't love Jesus and don't like us and tell them that Jesus loves them and hope they don't punch us? true story and they're like yeah let's do it let's go together because it might get rowdy and it did many times you can youtube it find this stuff it's how i remember it just and we were so excited because we had found out it was the good news and what do you do with the good news you just package it up and put it in a little binder and just sit on it you know no you give it away you herald it you herald i remember one time i told the story it's so funny i was in uh coles one time in medford just buying clothes and the guy next to me he was right behind me he just kind of was going up on his toes back and forth in his heels kind of had this like goofy grin on his face you know and i was just like yeah dude you're freaking me out you know and and he said he just he blurted it first thing out of his mouth i won the lottery and i was like really i was like and i was like i was like well let's be friends then you know what I sorry, sorry I was shunning you. Let's, let's talk about it. anyways. Here's the cool thing. He had won the lottery previous years. Okay? He, it had been years since he'd won. It had been a long time and he was still. You know, couldn't couldn't help but just tell perfect strangers the good news that he had ha- I'll tell you what. Some of you are like, I want to win the lottery too. <laughs> Listen, you have won the lottery if you have Christ. You should be that person at Fred Meyer's or try, you can be right now. Say, I, I have the good news. I'm going to heaven when I die like the sign said. Heaven is my hope, my home. If God be for me, nothing can be against me. God is causing all things to work together for good. There's therefore right now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. What? And you should be on your heels and on your toes. Whatever you're doing, say, yes, Jesus. I'm not kidding. Yet I know you. We're friends on Facebook, and I know your life. I know my life, and when I get in the scriptures, I think, man, I want to be excited like Luke was. I want to do stuff like Luke did, because this book has such good news that it'll change your whole life and your whole death. Did you know this book covers living and life and death and dying both? Okay, this is the manual, the B-I-B-L-E, the basic instructions before leaving earth. This tells you how to live your life and how to die your death with a smile on your face. 
how to live it with a message for the people around you. As a matter of fact, the key verse, Luke 19.10, if you have it, Jeremiah, throw it up there. I'll just read it. This is the key verse. Jesus quoting says, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus on earth is like, what are you doing here, Messiah? What are you doing here? He's like, I came to set people free. I came to set the captives free, to seek the lost, to save people, to do work, to spread the good news. And I would just ask you here, are you able to get behind that message in your life, in your living, in your death, in your dying? I mean, that's why you're here, I, I believe. It's changed your life. It's gone radically from your head to your heart. You're like, yeah, that's it. That's kind of what motivates me. It's not the final four. It's not the big five. It's not the this, that. It's not the elk season or hunting season or Christmas cookies or eggnog. Eggnog, it's good. It's not that, though. But what motivates me is the good news. It changes everything. It happens, and I get behind that. And I've often marveled, I just, I have, because I hope you would too, that Luke took the laborious time to write this letter to one man, okay? To write a letter at all, and not just this letter, but he wrote the book of Acts two years later, okay, to one man. Could you just imagine with me? They didn't have typewriters or word processors or delete or copy and paste or voice activated or whatever. None of that. He had to write it all on papyrus. This is a long, they would write these books on scrolls. This would be a heavy one. Like, whoa, what's that? It's like the Bible, no worries, you know, don't touch it, you know. It, this would be a really big effort. And I say that because the Lord might be calling you to go all in, whatever that means for you. And maybe go all in is just a day-by-day -day routine where you consecrate your mind, you consecrate your eyes, you consecrate your mouth, you consecrate your ears, you consecrate your hands, you consecrate your feet, you consecrate your life, you consecrate your money, you consecrate your energy, you consecrate everything to the Lord, just day-by-day. I live for Christ and for Christ alone. It motivates me. He was so motivated to write this letter. I told you my story before about the letter I received. Now it changed my life. I was in Ashland, Oregon, living at the Ashlanders, apartment P151, a bunch of drug dealers. And I had wandered very far from the Lord. And I remember, I remember it like it was yesterday, digging through the junk drawer, trying to find something, just me by myself at home. And I found a letter, not like Luke's letter, a letter. A letter written to me by my young life leader from Newport, Oregon. I remember I just opened it up. I was like, well, I'll just read this letter real quick. And as I read the letter, it undid me. And I began to weep like a little baby girl. I, rem I fell to the ground in my kitchen and was so broken by the love and by the compassion and the pursuit and the reality of who Jesus was. A letter written to me by my young life leader, who I don't want to embarrass, I'll just give you her initials. Her initials are Barb Wright. And it began, that, that letter, that act of love. Hey, Luke, you're going off to college. Hey, Luke, you're kind of crazy. Hey, Luke, here's the letter. You're going to need this letter. Read this when you're, when you're ready. God used it. God used it, and that letter wrecked me to the ground. What are you willing to do to change people's lives? What are you willing to do as well as Luke? Luke says, inasmuch as many have taken in order to set a narrative with those things which have been fulfilled, it seemed good to me also to do my part. Yesterday, we went to the men's retreat at Calvary Corvallis, and Ken Graves spoke for two sessions, one hour each session. He could have gone longer. I wouldn't have objected. Everyone was loving. It was awesome. We ran out of time, and at the very end, there was a call given for salvation. Three people got saved, and there was another call for commitment. Guys, if you want to be committed, if you feel God's calling you, feel God's doing something in your life that you want to be a part of, come up to the stage right now. 
And this one guy's, get out of my way, you know, <laughs> jumping up on stage. And dozens followed him. And about a half dozen or more from our group, from our 40 or 50 guys, went up there. I feel called. I feel like God's doing something. I don't know what. And they got prayed for in that way. And I saw these young men, these high schoolers and post-high schoolers from our church going up there. I just nodded at them. I said, get in the water. This is it. Jump in this stream. You don't know what God's going to do with your life. But you know he's good. And the message he's given to you is great. And it's the one thing that changes all things. I just want to encourage you to be in this time so different than you were. Maybe just walking in. Maybe you're saved. You are going to heaven. Okay? But you don't always live that way or even think that way. It's one of my favorite taglines. I'm going to heaven. (laughs) Going into a meeting I'm not excited about. Going to heaven. Going to do something I don't enjoy. Going to heaven. Reading an email that's taking the wind out of my sails. I'm going to heaven. And that motivation. But not just going to heaven, but I want to live and act and breathe and be set free as if I'm going to heaven. And nothing can stop that. And the motivation and the purpose that comes. You'll do crazy things like write a letter that changes lives. I've talked about Larry Sorensen before, Larry the bus driver. And I just, I don't want to keep talking about him. But last Sunday was monumental. You guys know Larry bought the bus, okay? He bought it himself and put it all together, and he's giving people rides every day. He travels around 250 miles per Sunday, uh, picking people up, all, all circuitry just going around. Last Sunday, he picked up his thousandth passenger, okay? Just in the last seven, seven months. So praise God. He, he keeps track. He logs them in. He logs, that's how many I got, that's how many we did. Brought to the Lord today, brought to church, brought to the, to the feast so they would eat. And again, I don't want to keep talking about Larry, but I got to. Uh, <laughs> this sign right here, it was actually laser cut. It's, it's aluminum here. And we, we asked Larry if he could do something like this. The next day, he brought it to us like this. Done. Here you go. Here's the, here's the sign, this metal, metal casing. The sign out there, the South Beach Church sign going to and fro above Espresso there. I talked to Larry about that concept. He's a metal guy. And he said, I can do that. He made it at his own house, rented the equipment, mounted it, and pointed at it when it was done. I said, got it for you, Pastor. Did it. And every time I see that sign, I think... Thank you that I didn't have to do that, Larry. <laughs> the good news has changed his life. It's, it's changed his life. Uh, Denny Burke was the one who made this cabinet around this sign. Okay? He, he, Denny Burke's the one who made the cross that was up there previously, a labor of love. He, he's probably going to be mad I mentioned his name at church as he did that. Sorry, not sorry. But I look at stuff like this. I can't do that. And these guys, gals, people serve here at the church. Jim Shones, who has moved to Nevada uh, in the last year or so, donated his 57 Chevy Bel Air so the church might raffle it to raise money for our upcoming building project. We had it uh, appraised last year at $28,000 cash value. It's what it's worth. We're actually now, just in the last week, approved by the IRS and by the gaming agencies and all kinds of people we had to run it through. We're okay now to sell raffle tickets. So the raffle is going to be drawn on July the 4th here in Newport, Oregon. If we sell all 3,500 tickets, you get a 1 in 3,500 chance of winning, 50 bucks a ticket, it's $175,000 going towards the new building. And, you, and, and Jim had this car. He's like, can you use my car? I was like, I don't need a ride. You know, can you sell my car and make some money? Everyone has a different gift and a different way that they're impacted by God because of the good news. Whether you're going to write somebody a letter. A letter changed my life. It wasn't a gift of a car. It was a letter. Somebody loved me. And it wasn't even at the time the letter got to me. It was years later in situations and circumstances that were not the best. 
And God uses all of that. So I don't care what your motivation is, what your output is, as long as it's for the Lord. I went upstairs today. I got here before everyone else, and I went up the stairs. When I got up the top of the stairs, I turned and I looked. You know what I saw? A clean floor. And I, was, I stopped. I was like, oh, because oh, the floor wasn't clean yesterday. And the cleaning gals, there's a team of them. They just come in here. They were in here multiple times this week because we had memorials and we had help portrait and we had youth group and we had church. And we had all kinds of events. And they, I, just, I would walk in here and there'd be a team of three or four gals, my mom being one of them, just sweeping and mopping, listening to worship music. And I went upstairs and it was clean because of the good news, because of their impact. That's what they offer amongst other things. Jim and Janice sitting right there in the back. I don't want to embarrass you guys, but it's too late. I just pointed at you. Jim and Janice just moved here from Texas, and they looked at the hoodie swag over here, and they said, this hoodie thing is really cool. I said, we've seen so many conversations, and we've seen the, the, the hoodies, and we've had conversations with people, and the, the swag uh, counter here was a little bit empty. They said, would you just teach us how to make these so we can make them and make sure this thing stays stocked? Can you just show us how? So they've been coming in periodically throughout the week, just cranking them. I love seeing them up there, and she'll be folding them, and he'll be cranking them and making all these hoodies here right on site. There's so many people. Did you know that right now there are people in the back room discipling young children in the name of God? Because they love Jesus and they love the good news. And did you know that that's technically that's free childcare? That's a miracle. Okay. Yeah, we'll, we'll watch your kids. We'll teach them. We'll disciple them for free. It's like, whoa, good news changed your life. You know what I'm saying? Like, how are you doing that? Radical motivation. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I want to pick people up in the bus. I'm going I'm to mop and sweep. I'm going to donate whatever I've got. What, I got some resources. I got some stuff. Can somebody go to heaven through this? The answer is yes. The answer is yes. We've had tons of people wanting to help with the building, wanting to help with the land acquisition, wanting to help with wisdom and with dollars and making sense. And what motivates a guy like Luke here, our author, to sacrifice everything for the gospel of Jesus? Let me just give you three things that will motivate you. Number one, he was called. You know that God called him to write this letter, okay? And God calls people, I like to put it this way, he who sees it ought to seize it. God's going to call you to do something that only you can do. You're going to see something at the church here. And by the way, let me just say this and say it very clear. There is more ministry to be done and had outside of this church than inside this church. You got to know that, right? Okay? You are here to be equipped for the works that God has prepared for you outside of this church, even more so than inside. We have a few things that need to be done here, just a few. Out there, though, if you're bearing fruit in the real world, whoa, that's spiritual dynamics. That's spiritual warfare. And God's going to call you to be that image bearer of him, done, and to be that good news bearer of him, that herald to your business place, your place of school, your family input. Everywhere you're at, you are equipped to be the light. Number one, you're going to be called, though. God's going to call you to, to talk to that nephew or to talk to that grandson or to talk to that neighbor. My, my pastor taught me a saying, he who sees it ought to seize it. I got an email recently from one of our own here as a, a dude, and he sent me a link to Brett Metter's church, Athey Creek, and he said, here's what they're doing for their guys. They got these little, these small groups, and they meet, and these iron sharpens, iron sharpens iron groups, and real cool stuff. And when I saw it, and I read the email, my first thought was, duh. That's such, of course, that's a good idea. My second thought, and I had already told this to, to, to this gentleman, I said, he should be the one to put this together. He should, be the, he should be the one to run this, and I can help him. We'll get him, guys, but he who sees it ought to seize it. I'm going to do my part, just so you guys know. I'm going to die doing this thing, and I hope you guys would get the fire and do your part as well, whatever it is. Number one, he was called. Number two, it was the truth. 
when Luke investigated, he concluded it was the truth, not optional. Did you know that if something's optional, well, that's your truth and this is my truth, it loses all momentum and traction. It's not even important anymore. If it's optional, it's like, well, anything goes. Okay, well, I'll just go over here then and drink tea. But if it's the truth, okay, it is the truth, and there is no other truth. Everything else is untruth. It changes everything about you. And number three, not only was he called, and so are you, and not only is it the truth, and you better make it yours, it's important. Okay, that, that could be the understatement of the year. So important. Let me just talk to you about the gospel and what it does for the people that need to hear it. Because you got to ask yourself, how important is the message? Should I donate my car, my, my collector car? Jim said, yeah, for sure I should. Should, should, I, should I get involved? Should I write a letter? Should I commit? Should I, should I not? Should I, should I say no to this sin in 2017 because of the gospel? The answer is yes. You should get very serious with that sin. You should repent and walk away and walk perfectly for the Lord in order that he might use you in a more powerful way because it's so important. The world today wants reform. Did you know that? Let's just fix things. Let's reform people. Let's just make more laws, more legislation, more rules. Let's just fix, let's treat the symptom. The Lord doesn't look at reform. The Lord looks at regeneration. Good news is a fix from the inside out, not the outside in. And our systems today want to address the outside in. Well, this person needs maybe just another rule and another law. We'll just put an ordinance here and a permit there and a fee there. And the Lord says, hey, how, about, how about good news? How about we bypass all of that and go right to your knower and do surgery? And all of a sudden, the law is not needed in that way because there's been a rebirth, not just reform, but regeneration. On Tuesday, this last Tuesday, I got invited to go to the recently opened Newport Women's Recovery Home. Real cool. And it's this home dedicated and funded by Connections here in town, Reconnections. I think it's funded by them. I'm not sure who funds it. And it, it, these girls, there's like six of them that live there. And they're high-risk girls that have relapsed recently, women. And they're in this home with a house mom that loves on them and makes sure that they do their stuff and pass their UAs and all the rest. And it's this house that just, and I got invited to come preach and pray there. And I asked them, I said, is this a Christian home? And they said, no. But everyone here goes to your church. okay 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 and they said so it, it's okay to you know preach and pray we're just figuring this out there's no you're not going to step on any toes and if anybody doesn't want to go to the meeting they don't have to and so i showed up to this meeting and, and I, I preached and prayed it was legit I preached out of luke chapter eight you're going to hear the message when we get there years from now <laughs> but i sat there with these women and, and you could see the pain on their faces you could see the the rest you could see some are, some are 20 days clean, some are three months clean. Here's the point, though. As the people who were there, the, the residents, shared their story, and I, just was, I was so humbled to be in their presence, so encouraged. Just, oh, Lord, I'm, just, I'm here with your daughters, encouraging them with the good news, the proclamation, not for reform. I'll pass the UA and you'll be fine. Really? Is that all it takes? Or is it something deeper? Something deeper in your heart. And these gals got it. And there was three mentors there. There was actually four, but three mentors there that had a really intense past. And before I began my sermon, I said, hey, Melissa. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Debbie. Can you girls tell us how it is sitting where you sit today as mentors, looking at these girls in recovery? What's it like to be sitting, and I'll use the phrase from the scriptures I taught, clothed and in your right mind, 
at the feet of Jesus, like the demoniac man after he'd been healed. What's it like having been on the outside and now you're here helping? I just want to hear it. And they began to talk about their experience, about being crazy and being lost. And I just I said, I don't even need to preach tonight. This is so good. These testimonies of these women. And when Melissa shared her story, Melissa Gifford, she'll be here at one of the services today. She talked about that when she finally decided to clean her life up, it was because she was in trouble, getting in trouble, in trouble, in trouble. So she finally cleaned her life up and was able to be clean, but she put it this way, but I was living dirty. She said, that's the term. When you get clean, but you live dirty because you haven't given your heart to Christ. You haven't gone all, you can get reformed. It's not that hard. Enough UAs, enough rules, enough watchdogs, and you can get sober, but you're still dirty. Those are her own words. She said, until I gave my life to Jesus Christ. And she began to tell her story about going to meetings and meeting this crazy guy named Chris Gifford. And Chris Gifford, I mean to talk about him later, but Chris Gifford comes to meetings and he introduces himself. Hello, my name's Chris Gifford, and I'm a firm believer in Jesus Christ, and I'm also an addict. And the people were getting mad at him. They said, you can't say that first part, man. You just got to tell them, you know, the part you're working on. I said, look, look, and he texted me last night, and he said he believes that the, the sole problem with addiction is a spiritual deficiency spiritual spiritual rotting when your spirit is wrong you will find yourself addicted and afflicted to you name it and chris Gifford, i love chris and melissa and they serve here they're mentors they've gone through and they've been through it luke seen had seen and experienced lives restored people put back together and he said this is it's not just about giving to certain agencies that help with homelessness and duress and utilities and we do all that by the way but we do more than that when we go not just to the symptom which i'm just going to say it i'm going to say it sensitively but clearly the the world our, our agencies the governments are are we're only allowed to treat the symptoms okay we're not allowed to treat the source we're not allowed to treat the soul outside of Christ, outside of the soul doctor. I would call him the sin doctor. It's a term I learned yesterday. You see, Dr. Luke had met Dr. Jesus, who was the sin doctor. And he was the one who could go to people and their problems and say, your problem is a sin. Yeah, that's your real problem. It's not that you're infirm. It's not that you're a, a demon possessed. It's sin. I can fix that. I can change you from the core up to the floor up. I can change the whole deal, not just the outside, but the inside as well. And those ladies at that recovery house, those mentors, and even the residents at that time, it'll cycle through. They all knew it's Jesus. It's not just getting clean for three weeks or six weeks or six months or six years. That has little to do with my main prerogative. My main prerogative is being filled and inhabited with Jesus Christ. And I'm not trying to split hairs or or anything with this next statement, but it sometimes catches my attention when uh, modern medicine and science uh, deems certain afflictions as diseases, like addiction. I heard this ad on Pandora yesterday that said addiction is a disease, and it said it three times in a row. It is a disease. It's a di and I just, I just thought, why are they saying that so many times? What's wrong with them? Got to pay 99 cents and get this ad taken off. Here's the deal. I don't doubt that addiction acts just like a disease okay but it's beyond a disease it's a sin issue it's it's a, it's deeper than that and it can only be conquered i'll use that word conquered by the sin 
doctor. And while there's great ways to overcome addiction, look, the only way to really conquer it is through the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's what motivated Luke. That's what motivates this church. And that's what motivates us not to just give handouts to agencies all day long, but to give hand ups to people. Because if you can get, if you can get from your head to your heart who Christ is, what he's done, that heaven is real, that heaven is your home, that sin kills, that he got killed for your sin and has forgiven you, all of a sudden now, what? That's way different than just, hey, don't be stupid. Okay. Okay? That's easy. Any religion can come up with those rules. I think most religions have that somewhere in there. Oh, yeah, by the way, don't be dumb. You know? That's not easy. That's not hard to put that into your bylaws. Jesus, though, when you meet him, it changes everything. And Luke here, we're talking about the gospel of Luke. He risked his whole life, and he invested his whole life in Jesus. And I would just say, as you get older, as I get older, as we do things, constantly run it through that filter. What am I investing my time in? What am I investing my life in? Because one day your accounts, okay, if not invested for Christ, will not satisfy. One day your experiences that you've logged in and all your photos and memories you have, one day all this stuff, if not done for Christ, it won't suffice on the day where you die. But if what you have done is for Christ, if all of your investments have had him and the good news in them, you're gonna find yourself ready when it comes for death and dying. It's interesting that Luke found himself did you know this, by the way? Luke wrote this in 62, 64 AD, that in 70 AD, the government of Jerusalem would completely topple, that the, the temple would be ruined, Rome would come in with a heavy thumb and kill everyone and all. It would just go crazy. Six years before he wrote this gospel, did you notice that at that time and in that politically charged environment, Luke was focused on the gospel, not politics? Not, not Rome, not oppression, not military. He could have easily, at that time, 62, 64 AD, said, guys, you know what we gotta do? You know what we gotta do? We gotta store up ammunition right now. You know, we, gotta, we gotta bunkers and gold and all this. Now, this is what we gotta do. Instead, he said, how about I write the gospel? I'm gonna write the gospel of Luke. I'm gonna give the good news because this too shall pass and everyone will pass. And if you don't have the gospel, it doesn't matter how much ammunition you have or how much water you have stored, or how, it doesn't matter. You need the gospel first and foremost. Last week we did look at Luke the man and his integrity and who he was. He's the only Gentile uh, contributor to the New Testament. God used him in that way. Uh, he was a physician, a doctor, a scientist, a, a learned man, a Greek scholar. Uh, we looked at the book of Luke too and it's so exciting for me to get into the book of Luke because of all that it addresses with uh, humanitarian needs in Jesus' name and how it views women and children and Gentiles and outcasts and those who have blown it and ruined their lives and the gospel's like, oh, that's, I got some good news for you. Not good reform, good news to change you and make you different. We also talked about the recipient last week, that is Theophilus, uh, who he wrote both Luke and Acts 2. Theophilus, again, uh, that name means theos, God, and philo, where we get our word love, lover of God. And he wrote this book to a lover of God, hoping that he would become a greater lover of God. Theophilus is an interesting name, by the way. Um, my parents actually almost named me Theophilus. Uh, I was born in Bend, Oregon, and uh, in 1978, and the doctor looked at my parents and said, you guys got a name picked out for your son yet? And my parents were struggling, and they said, no, not yet. What, what do you suggest? And he said, you should name him Theophilus. My parents said, what for? And he said, because that's Theophilus' baby I've ever seen. <laughs> my, my wife told me not to say it, but you guys liked it. You guys liked it. Oh, man. Oh, man. 
Oh, man. It's funny every time. Theophilus, baby. It's going to be funny at the 11, too. Come back for that. Anyways, I want you to see some more here. Look at verse 1 again. We're just, we're just really, I just, I'm, uh, inasmuch as many have taken in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us. And then verse 3, again, he just, he talks about, it seemed good to me also. Now look at verse 1 again. He says, I wanted to write a narrative and set it in order of those things that have been fulfilled. Stop right there, eyes up here. This was one of Luke's huge motivators in putting this together. He did all the work, all the investigation. By the end, he's like, I gotta write this down. This is crazy. This is crazy. All that has been fulfilled. Everyone say fulfilled. Fulfilled, fulfilled is something that they were waiting to be filled, full. Something that they were waiting, that wasn't full, but now has been filled up just as had been previously prophesied. And he's like, that's gotta go down on paper somewhere. We were all waiting for this, this fulfillment of prophecies. Now, let me just make sure you understand this because the definition of prophecy is the forth telling of a future event. Okay, this is where Christianity and Judaism, which by the way are the same, okay? They're the same. They're just one meta narrative. Genesis to Revelation is one story, one story by one God, okay? Here's the deal though <sighs> prophecy is the forth telling of future events. When people make up religions, which they do, there's a lot of them out there, dozens and hundreds, okay? What those religions seek to do is control people, set out rules, expectations, things that should happen and shouldn't happen. Do this, don't do that. We're right, they're wrong. That's religion, right? Now, when a religion does that, and by the way, Christianity and Judaism both do that. We're right, they're wrong. Do this, don't do that. It's there, okay? That's, that's what every religion does. Christianity and Judaism goes a step further, and decides to, just to make sure you know this is true, we're going to go ahead and predict things that are not yet true as if they are. We're going to go ahead, God would say, writing this book called the Bible, writing this thing called faith. We're going to go ahead and predict and prophesy things that if they don't happen, we all know this is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. Okay, it's pretty simple. And you can actually take some of these. It's so fun to study other religions and be like, you know why that's not true? Because that's not true. And you just study it through and you go through history and you can take Mormonism. You can take that and study it through the historical dialogues and say, this doesn't make any sense at all when you talk to a, a Mormon at all. They just say, yeah, we have no good answers for the archaeological inconsistencies and the fallacies that you have just pointed out so, so clearly. But would you like a book anyways? And I'm like, look, I, anyways, sorry, I digress. Here's the deal, though. I'm trying to convince you. Luke was so convinced. He said, this stuff was fulfilled. This is crazy town. This is crazy town. It's not just do this, don't do that, believe us, we're right, they're wrong, easy peasy. There was actually things foretold that should never have happened and happened just as it was told. This is so true. This is, this is fulfilled. I got to write this down. It's fulfilled. It's called prophecy because this is huge. And those who, by the way, in their logical conclusion, decide not to believe the Bible because its authors were man or men, should I say, mankind. And they say, well, it's written by man. I can't believe that. And it's like, name one thing you believe at all that wasn't given to you by mankind. Everything and anything you've come to believe, whether it's the DMV manual or any has been given to you by a man. A man came up with it. Here you go. Here's the rule. It's like, thank you. Here's the Bible. It's written by man. No way. Really? Why not? Well, because a man wrote it. I'd believe it if it was like etched in the sky or whatever. But that's, that's a, it's a double standard because you and I, we believe everything that's been submitted to us that you, listen, 
have done the due diligence and the research and the conclusion and the investigation yourself and said, yeah, that's actually true. I believe it. I actually studied. I talked to some people. I weighed the evidence. I put it in my knower, in my mind, and it uh, saturated down to my heart, and now it settles there. I know it's true. Prophecies, they take the logical thinker, and they put them on a hook for making the right decision, not the wrong one. And I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. It's kind of offensive, but it's absolutely true. There is zero logical reason to reject the message of Jesus Christ. Okay? You can't use logic. If you want to use logic, you actually have to believe. You have to. Based on theory, based on evidence, based on power, based on historical records, you actually can't not believe. But there's so many non-believers. Let me just tell you why there's non-believers. The same reason why before I read my letter at apartment P151, the reason there are non-believers, the reason there's non-participatory people that are participating, the reason, there's, the reason that happens is because of sin and rebellion. Okay, Pride. I just don't want to. I don't want to submit to a higher power. You know who the higher power is? Me, myself, and I, and we're fine. Okay, we're going partying. We're doing it our way. And the only reason somebody ever, ever says no to God, to the Bible, is not based on evidence. <clears throat> False. It is based on pride and sin. I've been there. You've been there before. Okay, don't act all prideful. But when you, like Luke, do the research, especially the fulfilled part, the prophecies, and most of you guys know this, you guys get this, you're aware of this, but there are prophecies throughout the entire scripture that say, it's gonna happen this way, just wait for it. When you see it happen this way, make that, make a note there. And when this happens, oh, didn't want you to miss it. As a matter of fact, one of the most incredible prophecies in the entire thought process of humanity is in Luke chapter 20. We're gonna get there. The, in, in my opinion, if I can have an opinion, is the most crazy prophecy ever foretold and fulfilled is in Luke 20, where Jesus Christ actually rides into Jerusalem on a donkey, and then he gets off, and he looks at everyone and says, guys, this is the, the day. This is your, the, the, this is the day. And by the way, 173,880 days earlier, Daniel prophesied that on that particular day, April 6, AD 32, the Messiah would go through the temple gates into Jerusalem. And Jesus gets off his donkey, he's like, nobody, and he weeps. He weeps. If you, O Jerusalem, had known even this your day, who is here and what I bring to you. Jesus, the Bible, goes to great lengths lest nobody, anybody, miss it. And so Luke says, man, these things that were fulfilled, here's some uh, prophecies. Let me just say it this way. Uh, there's amazing prophecies. We'll study them. In totality in the gospel, or I'm sorry, in the scriptures, there's over 350 351 to be exact, prophecies that were fulfilled by Jesus Christ in his foretelling of his life, in the way that he was born, in the way that he lived, in the way that he died, in the, ways he, the way he raised from the dead. 351 prophecies that Christ fulfilled in the Old Testament just by saying, hello, coming to the earth. Do you understand this? I, I don't, I'm running out of time. I want you to get this. It was foretold that he would be born in Bethlehem. Now, you guys know Jesus lived in Nazareth. He didn't live in Bethlehem. The Bible says, though, the Messiah is going to come from Bethlehem. What do we do now? And what do we do now? There was a taxation of the nations at that time. Everyone must return to their hometown and be taxed during this time. So Joseph looks at Mary. He's not even married to her. He's like, dude, I got to go home to Bethlehem. I haven't been there in years. Nobody even likes me. Let's get on this donkey. And they ride to Bethlehem. Get there one day. Jesus is born in Bethlehem. God uses taxes, too. Interesting. Micah 5.2 says that he would be born in Bethlehem. Zechariah chapter 9 says that when the Messiah comes, hundreds of years before Jesus, when the Messiah comes, he's going to be riding a donkey. Jesus did just that. Zechariah chapter 11 says that when Jesus is betrayed, he's going to be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. 
30 pieces of silver, Judas, God be true. The Bible says in Zechariah chapter 11, verses 13, that those 30 pieces of silver would be thrown on the ground and used to buy a potter's house. Read the book. It happened just that way. Historically, secular history records it over and over and over. Those are some of the big ones, 300. Let me just say this. In order for one person, man or woman, to fulfill eight foretellings, prophecies, just eight, not 351, but just eight, okay, in the way you were born, lived, died, and rose from the dead. That's kind of a big one, by the way, rose from the dead, you know. If, if you were able to do that, eight prophecies, just eight, eight lucky coincidences, it would be the number 10 with 28 zeros after it. Do we even have a picture of that? Did you get a picture of that? 20, 10 to the 28th power. I tried to write it down on my phone, and it wouldn't even compute. Well, maybe it'll come up there in a second. The chances of eight prophecies. Matter of fact, one scientist did the work and he said, for one man to fulfill eight prophecies alone, and Christ did 350, for one man to coincidentally fulfill these prophecies would be similar to taking the state of Texas. I heard it's big. I've never been there. Jim Janice, big, decent size. Takes like seven weeks to drive across it. If you took the state of Texas and covered it with silver dollars, you guys know, you guys know. If you covered it up to your knees, two feet deep with silver dollars, all of Texas, and then took one silver dollar and put an X on it, Okay, and put it somewhere in there. The chances of you flying over Texas, viewing it, quantifying your thoughts, well, not there, that's for sure. You know, <laughs> nope, too close to the border, you know. Maybe San Antonio, no. You know, whatever. Let's go to Dallas, whatever. And then all of a sudden you jump out, parachute, whoo, eagle eyes. The chances of you landing, walking around, and then just reaching down and grabbing that X. Grabbing that one would be the same, quantifiably the same as one man fulfilling eight prophecies in his life, eight foretellings. Luke begins chapter one, verse one, by saying, I thought it good for me to talk about all the things that were fulfilled because I'm a scientist, I'm a doctor, and this stuff is insane. The things that Jesus did, you can't reject him. It's not just a mistake, it's foolishness. He did what no one else could do, and it's the good news. It's so important. It takes away sins. It restores lives. I've seen it happen. The Bible said it would happen. You've got to believe this, this prophecy. Here's another thing about being fulfilled, and I'm almost out of time. You got your Bible right here, right? Luke along with the other Gospels, is the very first entry into the New Testament. If you go backwards, you go into the, New the Old Testament. And if you go backwards, you hit first the book of Malachi. The book of Malachi was written 400 years before Luke, 400 years before Matthew, 400 years before Mark, 400 years before John, 400 years before Romans and Corinthians, the whole Bible. So when Malachi was penned and done, the, the Jewish brothers and sisters among us, they've got Genesis through Malachi. There it is, the Old Testament, got it. And for 400 years, they waited. Imagine the first 10 years after Malachi's over. And when Malachi ends, we'll study this next week. Malachi ends and Malachi says, guys, chapter three, Malachi, there's one coming. He's a forerunner. He's not a pathfinder. He's not a Nissan. He's a Toyota. He's a forerunner. And he's a forerunner to the Christ. And he's gonna pave the way for Jesus. He's gonna announce him. And, and Malachi says that. And can you imagine 10 years later, they're like, oh, it's gonna be so good, it's gonna be so good, it's gonna be so good. And uh, 50 years later, they're telling their kids, Malachi said it's going to happen, and no prophets speak, no words are written, and 100 years goes by, and 200 years, and you're the nation of Israel, you're like, whoa, check, check the internet connection, make sure, make sure we're connected, you know, 
do something. Did you pay the bill? Did you pay the, you know, 300 years goes by, 400 years goes by, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, angels start to show up and start to tell and foretell the births of Mary's child, Jesus, and of Elizabeth's child, John the Baptist. And all of a sudden, all these things start to happen. The swirling. John the Baptist was prophesied by Malachi. There would be a forerunner, one who comes before Christ and paves the way. And all of this had been fulfilled after this long, silent season of duress and stress and carnage. And all of a sudden, Luke says, oh, it happened. It happened. And then the, the story continues. There is no separation between Old and New Testament, at least in the way I view it. It's a continuation of what God said he's going to do. And Luke wrote it down and says, don't miss this. It's been fulfilled. There's so much application in, that, in those dark seasons, those dry seasons. Lord, are you hearing my prayers? Lord, I thought you said you were going to do this in my life. I thought you said you would deliver me from this addiction or help my marriage or help my kids. And I just, it seems like you forgot. God never forgets. He has a plan. He has a purpose and he has a way. And it's for his glory and his glory alone. And he fulfills all of this in perfect time. We get so antsy, don't we? Right now, somebody here is antsy. You're like, I don't know. Life kind of stinks. It's hard. I know God's good. Really? Ah, I know he's good. I know, he's, I know I'm, I'm going to heaven. And you say it cavalier. I'm going to heaven. It's like, what? Did you just say that? You're going to heaven? You don't deserve to go to heaven? Yeah, but I'm going. I got forgiven. It's kind of a big deal, I guess. What? It, because we get jaded by life and things, things don't make sense all the time. I remember the first time I took Noah for Shet, my son. He's nine now. He turned nine on Thanksgiving Day. And he was three. It was June 24, 2011. I remember the day. And I took him to Cars 2 here at the movie theaters. Three, not yet four. And it was his first movie theater experience. I was excited. I was like, that was going to be so good. I love the movies. This is going to be so fun. So I brought him in there, and he had no clue what was going on. You're like, where are we going? You know, got the popcorn, got some juice, got the little booster chair. And I sat him down next to me. And after the first preview was over, he got up, started to walk out. <laughs> I said, bro, sit, sit, where are you going? You go to the bathroom? He's like, we're, it's over. I was like, oh, dude. Nah, man, there's more to come. You don't, don't check out too soon. Don't leave. There's so much more. And I saw through his eyes and so many Christians today got a preview. Believers, a preview of what was to come. You're like, yeah, that was good. That was, that was that satisfied me. Fully satisfied. No, there's a whole feature film coming for you. A whole, a whole fulfillment of what God has said he was going to do. Luke here, he says, this has been fulfilled. The prophecies, I had to write it down. And this, this, this silent period is over and God is speaking now and it's so impactful and you've heard it from this pulpit before I want you to understand it because you're living in it it's the grand meta-narrative meta means all-consuming narrative means story from Genesis to Revelation and we're somewhere right in the middle of the Revelation story right there chapters 1, 2, and 3 beginning in chapter 4 all that stuff's happening right now and it's all been on the timeline of Christ and who he is and it changes everything about you and about me he says in verse 2 just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word delivered them to us i want you to really believe in luke's work okay he was a scientist he was a doctor he was greek and he was smart let me just say this. There are some silly Christians out there that believe that being a part of science and medicine and smart is anti-faith. You've, you've met those silly Christians before. You know, they just think this is what, well, it's, it's an absence of faith to believe in modern medicine. 
And it's like, well, what, what makes you think that? And then they'll quote verses out of Luke. They'll say, well, look, Luke, uh, here Jesus healed without medicine. Then they'll quote verses out of Acts and say, look, in the beginning of the church, there was all kinds of miracles that happened in the book of Acts. And they failed to recognize that the author of both Luke and Acts was a doctor, like, you know, of medicine. Like, well, those are the reasons that might have been written down. Let me just say it this way, because there's silly people who make that wrong conclusion. And there's also silly people, some of you young people here, who say, you know what I want to do? I'm not going to go to college because I want to serve the Lord. And I've actually said that. Let me say it this way. Why don't you go to college and become super smart, okay, and serve the Lord super good? You know what I'm saying? Why don't, why don't you get super, do, do, do what God has put on your heart. Here's Luke, a scientist, a medical guy, a servant, the beloved. He says, I'm going to be the best I can be for God. I'm going to take my gifts and my talents. And the ones who have had this eyewitness report, I'm going to interview them. I'm going to talk to them. The three ways that Luke came up with his gospel, number one was oral tradition. Okay? In that day, right around 5 or 10% of humans could read or write. And so the majority of the way that language and story would be passed was oral tradition. Secondly was the written documents we've spoken of already. And then thirdly was the eyewitnesses. Luke took that very seriously and interviewed everyone that was alive. Here's why. Here's the final thoughts for today. Verse 3 and 4, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. Verse 4, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. This is, this is so important. Christians, we live in a time that is very perilous, don't we? It's perilous out there. I love being in Lincoln County because we're kind of protected from the crazy. Like, I really just want to be concerned with my family and this town and this community. Like, I just got to, I can't get too bogged down by what's happening. But even here, did you know it's, it's, hard, it's hard here? It's perilous here. There's, addiction is rampant in our town. You know that, right? Pray, okay? Marriages are being attacked right now in our town. Rampant. You, you don't even understand. Maybe you do with me. Maybe you do. Maybe you're praying hard for marriages, okay? There's, there's a battle going on. There's, there's, there's temptation on all sides, left and right, for men and women. Our young people are being bombarded. Can you imagine being a young person right now? Do you remember when you were a young person, how bad it was? I do. It hasn't gotten any better. Luke wrote his letter and said, I wrote this to you, Theophilus, lover of God, so that you might have certainty in the things with which you were instructed. And when you are certain, okay, certain of the things, you will be able to stand as we just learned, armored up, no matter what happens, no matter what emails you get, and I get them, no matter what text you receive, and I get them, no matter what phone calls you answer, and I answer them, no matter what happens, and oh, this last week was, it was tougher than most for me, just being honest, okay, but the certainty of what I believe, the certainty, I'm, I'm locked in, I'm hooked in, the Bible says that hope in Christ is an anchor for our soul, you know what an anchor is, okay, it's not something you have on your shirt or an earring. An anchor is something you drop in the middle of a storm when you're about to die. Put an anchor down so we don't die. And you put the anchor and it holds the boat where it's supposed to be. Hope in Christ is that anchor for your soul in the midst of uncertainty. And if you aren't certain here today and where you stand, I'm just telling you right now, you will fall. Sorry, you're not going to stand. But if you're certain... If you are certain, because you know the fulfillments, you know the prophecies, you know the good news, you know how important it is, you've seen it happen. I'm not saying you're going to be protected from the punches of life. You're going to get them, but you're going to stand. That certainty, you all know my favorite verse, I've shared it so many times, is John 6, 68. In, in my bedroom, my wife made this thing for me to hang up, biggest thing in our house. And it says John 6, 68, and there it is. 
In John 6, 68, Jesus looked at his disciples and he looked at the five or thousand and the 20,000 who were following him and he told them something that they didn't understand and so they left him. They, they said, we're out of here. See ya. And he looked at his disciples and says, are you gonna leave too? And he gave Peter a chance to leave and Peter was certain of the things that he had come to believe. And so he said, to who shall we go? John 6, 68, my favorite verse. To whom shall we go? You both, you have the words of eternal life. And we have come to believe and know, verse 69, that you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Look at that verse. It's up there on the screen. I want you to see the final thoughts. Thanks for putting that on the screen. Put 69 up there, would you? Talking about certainty here. Notice Peter. Peter, this is one of Peter's good days. Okay? He, he had a couple. Once he got saved and had the Holy Spirit, he had a lot of good days. Here's a, good, here's a good thing. He said, also, we're not going anywhere. You know why? We have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Notice the order. Believe and know. Our culture, and maybe in your intellectual prowess, would say, once I know, then I'll believe. Peter said, no, I believe first, and now I know. And when you believe what Christ has already afforded you and given to you, when you just believe, he's already, he's given you enough. And there are somebody, somebody's even here today say, well, I don't know, well, I don't know. Believe and you will. Peter, who's with Jesus, said, we, we believe you and we know. I'm gonna ask the worship team to come up and lead us in a closing song. And I hope I didn't preach too crazily this morning so you don't even know what I said. So let me tell you what I said. Luke was so motivated to live his life. Other people had done what they'd done. He, he was so motivated. Because of the prophecies that were fulfilled. Because of how important it was. Lives had been changed. He had done the investigative work. And I'm here right now. And I've got my choice to make this day, this week. I'm about to get in the ocean at 1.30 and baptize people because it's worth it because it's awesome I'm going to say no to the sin that creeps up in my life daily I'm going to keep saying no and I'm going to keep pounding it down saying no I'm on mission no I've got a reason no I've got a purpose and I'm going to look to the people around me that need that good news desperately and I'm going to ask God to soften my heart to be nice to those who look like they haven't had any good news in years there are neighbors and friends and homeless and bums and addicts and people who are afflicted, people who need what you have. Let it motivate you. May you be the writer of letters of love to the people around you. Father, would you forgive me for my selfishness, for my pride, for, for my self-interest? Lord, I pray you'd forgive us too. It's the holiday season, Lord. And Jesus is so real right now. I pray you'd make families, Lord, just a priority. Help us to love each other, forgive each other to love one another, Lord, right now, even today. And I just pray in your name that all of us here would be fired up and inspired, Lord, to, to serve you, to know you. And maybe you're here this morning, you would just say, you know what? I don't know if I'm serving the king. I just don't know if I am. I'm kind of just doing my own thing. I would say, I am doing my own thing. And if he is, if it's real, if there were 351 prophecies he fulfilled and he showed up just like he said he would and he died like he said he would, and he, all that's true. I don't want to miss it. Maybe you're a Christian here and you're missing it. Maybe you're not a Christian here and you're missing it. Either way, you know you're missing it. You, I can't tell you you're missing it. I don't know you. 
But if you're missing it today, and you're like, I don't want to anymore. I want to humble myself. If Luke was a doctor, if Luke was a scientist, if Luke was there and he said, this is how it went down, then I'm going to believe him. Would you just right now say, I want all in. Just raise your hand right now. If you're a Christian or non-Christian and you've been missing it, you've been living for yourself, raise your hand right now and get over it. Raise your hand right now and say, yep, I don't want to blow it. This life is too precious. Raise your hand high, Christians. Raise your hand high, new believers. Raise your hand high and say, yes, Lord, I don't want to blow it. Forgive me and help me. And I pray, Lord, those hands that are up would be anointed right now by Holy Spirit power to do what they can't do, to know what they don't know, to be who they're not, to live like Jesus would have them to live. Lord, anoint us to be like Luke, to be the light, to be the good news bearers. Bless us now as we come to the table of communion and celebrate new life given to us, Lord. We just thank you. Heal even now in this room, Lord. Make us new from the inside out that we might be those image bearers, those message heralders, those bearers of the good news. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.